There's two set releases before this tournament? Yeah. Like, Dominaria United comes out in, like, six weeks, and I think the second one is the one that comes out between the, like, last chance qualifiers and the regional championship. Yeah, November, November 18th, 18th, 2022. And the tournament is when? The RC is when? Uh, I believe November 18th or whatever. It's the day of release? That is... Well, it's the legality... Remember, the legality of the set like happens between the last chance qualifier and the regional championship oh of course that the ideal way to do any sort of magic tournament yes, of course of course <laughs> there's nothing i love more than needing to go to every pre-release i can possibly find to see if i have enough cards for my major tournament yeah i don't really know how we're going to do it yeah first regional championship of the new competitive magic gathering system will take place november 18th through 20th so Brothers War apparently is legal for it, and the cards will be impossible to get. I don't really understand how that's supposed to work, but hopefully not too many of them will be relevant for Pioneer. But the confluence of events that seems likely to happen is like Allied Color Fast. Although if Allied Color Fastlands are in there, at least those are easy to get because those exist. So, But maybe some good Allied Color lands that, have nev that are brand new will be in that set, and that will make it absolute chaos to get your cards for the regional championship i imagine the allied lands are in the the phyrexia set because they're all named after mirrodin locations oh that's true that would be a a chance to get them in there hmm i maybe pain lands will be in the yeah those are all dominaria <laughs> but at least that wouldn't screw things up because everybody has their right allied color pain lands so you could do allied enemy i don't know pain lands are not super popular though which is it's hard for me to believe they'll reprint them in a standard set. It's true. But it is weird that we only have the enemy color pain lands in Pioneer. And like once cards rotate out of standard, the only dual lands in the format will be like the triomes, right? Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to put some dual lands in these sets. Just reprint shock lands. Just have shock lands. Just be out there all the time. Like, come on, let's do it. <laughs> the next RC after this one is standard. So they have to care about it. Like, they have to pretend to care about it. Yes. It's also a presumably thematic year with all the Phyrexia stuff going on, Dominator mm -hmm. United, Brothers War, and the presumed... I mean, it might not even be presumed by the time this podcast comes out because there's a reveal stream on Thursday where they're saying all the expansions, I believe. Yeah, but we're assuming a Phyrexia set or whatever. Yeah, since the last four sets... Have, have had a Praetor in them. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah they're teasing safe. that pretty hard. And it's about time Phyrexians came back. Yeah, the Phyrexians are cool. The... They're like, Phyrexians and Slivers are like the two good original magic things. I like Planeswalkers. Yeah, I mean, Planeswalkers, but Planeswalkers are like a, you know, like a mechanical device within the universe, right? It's like we have different planes. We have to have some way to get from plane to plane. Yeah, that's fair. I do like the card type Planeswalkers, though, too. I think it was a really Same. cool idea. Yeah. I think Planeswalkers have mostly worked out. I think it's taken them a long time to, like, get close to them being reasonable in, in terms of balance. Because they've been good, but not necessarily balanced in multiple times through a standard. <laughs> right. I, the, the first set of Planeswalkers were, like like very close to the center of the bullseye for that time period it's but true. then they also spent like three years working on those yes straight <laughs> right because they they had to be hitters and even then we got like five mana chandra as one of them which was not the hey most that card exciting was sweet. thing i remember it being played in standard to ping your stuff eat all <laughs> yep
that was not not the most competitive planeswalker. Yeah, that's okay. But Ajani, Jace, Garak, and Liliana all were like very appropriate cards. And then there are no planeswalkers for a whole year. Yeah, and now you know a year without planeswalkers would be just unthinkable. I don't even know how they would do that. No. People would just, they even put them in the D&D set. The D&D has no planeswalkers. No planeswalkers, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I guess D&D has, well, I was going to say like D&D has like godlike figures, but we have literal god cards in Magic, so I yeah. didn't need to do them in planeswalker form. Like Loth did, does not need to be a planeswalker. She could be like a Hazaret. But here we are. And Loth is a cool card, so whatever, worth it. I'd be pretty happy if we just didn't do a D&D set ever again. They didn't. Uh, they same. have not done well <laughs> on the market. I mean, I know some people like it fulfilled a desire of theirs, but I m largely found the designs in those sets uninspiring. Yes. Yeah. Like the the commander one had the some of the weird commander stuff, but that's just like a weird commander thing. <laughs> it's not like a D&D &D specific thing. All of them. D, D ones are really bland in my opinion yeah or and the, a bunch of die roll yeah i mean like like this like standout mythic you know it's supposed to be like a face card mythic in the set which is like ancient gold dragon or whatever the one that makes and treasures just, when it hits i don't remember which one is which but yeah there's the one that makes treasures when it hits and there's the one that just like when it hits you you roll a d20 and make that many one one flying and like yes that's very powerful it's like very unbeatable and limited but it's like it just isn't a cool magic card. I don't know. Like, the design just feels very bleh to me. Like, hit them with this dragon and you win in a weird way is, like, not not that good. Just get off of D&D &D forever. Just stick yeah. to the Phyrexia stuff that we're doing this year and, like, maybe I'll be excited to buy some magic cards. Yeah, I mean, I'm always down for Phyrexians. I, I'm still on the Mirren side. Gotta get my boy Koth back. Well, but the Mirans wouldn't be compelling without their Phyrexian antagonists. So. Yeah, yeah, of course. Gotta gotta get Malira back too. She's important. Yeah. Uh Glissa as well. She's a bad guy now, so. But she could be redeemed. Or not. Like or not. we got that story arc to resolve. I don't know. They didn't really address her in the second uh block. She's just a bad guy, and that's it. Oh, I don't know. It is it's a compelling like card-based storyline, at least. I have no idea what the actual story is. Any so. of the non-Planeswalker legendaries that just they printed. A story. Uh not specifically in Mirrodin, but just like in general, are you not very compelling unless they show up a bunch? Mm -hmm. Kind of like Squee. Sure. I so I mean to me, because the main way that I consume magic and like the story and flavor of it is through the cards. Like one of the most powerful flavor things that they can do is bring back characters, particularly non-Planeswalker characters, and use the colors and their abilities to kind of like tell the story of the transformation and evolution of these characters. So the like Glissa into Evil Glissa card story, it, like that's that's a really compelling game mechanic tale for me that sticks with me a lot more than like oh this planeswalker is back again for some reason i think it works better on characters that you have a reason to care about in some way sure so like with squee it was already a really cute card that people like to do weird stuff with mm -hmm. and he was on a lot of other cards in the flavor text on art 
uh, to use a mirror an example i think cauldra complete is way yeah. better than glissa whatever the black one's called because cauldra yeah <laughs> but i mean that's a good that's a good card name i mean like, so it's that... cauldra complete but like the cauldra yeah. pieces in the first block were so big and important and splashy right they were the set symbols for all three sets yeah it's like blightsteel colossus is a better way to do that than glissa was yeah that's probably fair Blightsteel Colossus, right, I mean the, like, card from Mirrodin, but now it is a glistening oil variant of that card that has, in fact, was a very compelling... An indestructible thing, too. You're not yes. even supposed to be able to touch that. Giant, indestructible, Ink Moth Nexus, obviously, like, really, really cool. I like the story behind that one, even though, like, when you, when you look at the card and you don't know anything about the story, it's just, oh, these, is, these are what the Ink Moth salts, or the Blink Moths all turned into, but in reality... Like in the actual story, all the all the blink moths died. They they mm. went extinct, and the ink moths are what the Phyrexians are trying to recreate. Gotcha. Because the blink moth serum gave you like super intelligence, mm -hmm. their blood or whatever. So they all got harvested, <laughs> and the Phyrexians <laughs> are trying to recreate that, but they couldn't. Gotcha. They can't do it. Like what we're trying to do when we make robot bees, and we're not going to be able to do it either, and we're all going to die. But yeah, hopefully we should try to keep the bees alive. Yes, that's, that is the default. That's what we really want. The Frexans didn't succeed. They no longer have any blink moths. And no longer have super intelligence, which is less of a problem than not having food at all. I don't know if the blink moths was important past fifth dawn or whatever, because mm -hmm. they all died, right? But that was like the reason they gave for Mimnark being crazy when it was in reality uh, the Phyrexians. I mean, it was important because we were casting Serum Visions up until like two years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're still attacking with Ink Moth Nexuses at least. Serum Powder? That's the mm -hmm. Mulligan card, right? Yes, but that one doesn't see a lot of play. Yeah, but when it does, you know they're up to something nonsensical. Yes. Well, shall we talk about Pioneer? Nah. A format with really no phyrexians in it at all i mean i, I like sleep rage and i'm ready for that card that's what it's called right the black yeah creature. yeah that card well, looks wait so no sweet. is it sleeper agent or was that a that's an old card right the black mana three three yeah sleeper agent is the one that your opponent gains evolved control of. sleeper is the name of yes. the card so same i i assume it's the same archetype in the phyrexian yeah it's the same know. same deal it's a sleeper agent it's a, it's a secret Phyrexian that's taken the form of a human. Yes. No, Summon I'm pumped for that minion. card, too. I hope that card's good. Uh, at the very least, it'll be cube playable. Because black cards suck. Yeah. I mean, yes, that's true. You, you, you'll need to not put it in there as a member <coughs> of your, like, ha, now I have the black creatures to make a black aggressive archetype in cube. That's that's not what you're doing. It's got a, it's a standalone card surrounded by mid-rangey stuff, probably. Plus, if you if you level up your sleeper enough, you can just start making like a bad card draw engine. Which is pretty well, good for a mana sink. Yeah, pretty good on a a, a one mana guy. Uh, Evolve Sleeper is a like figure of destiny analog, a black mana for a one one. You can pay a black to make it a two two, and then one and a black to make it a three three death death touch, and then one and two black to put a plus and plus one counter on it, draw a card, and you, you lose one life. You don't have to read the card. This is our cold open. This this is. <sighs> they don't know we're here this card's just not even out so that's the that's the only reason it's that a I secret it. we don't have to explain things until after the intro that's the rule i've never understood that rule there's already a price on this card wow there's a price for everything yeah i'm not gonna pre-order this card for 13 dollars right lord now. <laughs> this is a rare in a standard full set come on 
So I was looking at renting Pioneer decks, which have the, like, no card in the deck is worth any money except for these rares are worth infinite problem, just like, but even worse than modern. So, uh, Graveyard Trespasser, want to hazard a guess to the cost of that card on Moto? On Moto? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, 15 ticks? 50 ticks. 50 ticks? Good lord. Yep. It's even more expensive than Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So the the black red deck is like 700 ticks and like 400 of those ticks are your <laughs> graveyard trespassers and your fables of the mirror breaker in print standard rares yes ideal economy because nobody drafts standard anymore or nobody drafts anymore on magic online because arena exists for anybody who wanted to do that and that just like pulled away such a massive part of that audience from moto well yeah drafting on arena is free <laughs> yeah drafting on magic online costs money yeah and it's right Drafting on on Magic Online has always been like a kind of bad proposition, but it at least put cards into the economy. And now that it's not happening anymore, standard rares and mythics that see eternal play are not reasonably costed. And unfortunately, eternal play is the only play that sees play on Magic Online. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the economy is real, real messed up and it like sucks buying cards and it also sucks renting cards because like what am what am i gonna do am i gonna get like a 700 dollar or 700 ticket cap for a rental service to play pioneer decks when like it's just one deck sometimes costs that much but then if the prices go down then it's a like 350 ticket deck like this sucks that no solution anyways should we talk about pioneer yeah i guess all right Hey everyone, welcome to episode 256 of the MDG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hi Lee. Hi Chris. Lee, I'm sorry you still don't have a kitchen yet. Yeah, hi. I am also sorry. Every day, in fact, <laughs> as we work through post-flood together. I don't even... You know, you don't think about it. Like, often cooking dinner is, like, more of an annoyance. Like, ugh, I don't have anything ready. I really need to cook something today. But, boy, if I couldn't do that, then it would be even more annoying. Yeah. Yeah. It is it is very annoying. I just want to, like, you get to control how much you eat, too, which is super nice. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I have to, like, get fast food or whatever, it's that's not a thing. <laughs> no, it's just there. You're going to eat all the french fries. Right. Well, I'm sorry. I hope it gets resolved soon. It better. I am close to yelling at people just all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are going to be talking about Pioneer and we're going to take kind of a, a different approach to it than we have in the past. I want to talk about it because I am now qualified for the regional championship. So I want to start putting in good, helpful work in just kind of like understanding the format generally. I don't think that it's useful to like identify what deck is the best now and what are the 15 proper sideboard cards in those in that deck when the tournament that I'm preparing for is three months and two set releases away. But I also think that, especially because I know that I need reps and I need deep understandings of things in order to 
be capable of making good changes to decks and evaluating matchups and stuff like that. I, I do think that there's a lot of work that I can do on the format to kind of get ahead of the curve for when the actual cards are out and can start making like more fine-tuned adjustments. I think that what I want to do over the next three months effectively is become a pioneer expert and just get real, real good at the format because I want to take this tournament seriously. So what I wanted to do today is kind of just go over the format from a bird's eye view, both to kind of get an understanding of what's going on in it and also to sort of start cultivating a list of questions that I want to answer and things that I want to explore generally over the next several weeks before new cards come out. And then, you know, all the specifics don't necessarily stay the same, but general stuff like here's what's important in the Phoenix versus Black Red matchup. A lot of that is going to stay the same and then new cards just kind of like add to the calculus there. Yeah, it's it's good to get an understanding of where Pioneer is kind of now because it's been established for, you know, several months now mm-hmm. since the Luris ban. And even if the format, like it, it would take a, a little bit to shake up the format for two set releases. I'm, I'm mostly thinking about the mana base here. <laughs> Like if you get yes. some allied lands in this format, all of a sudden you you do have to like radically reconfigure what you're working with. Like that notwithstanding, uh, most cards will be additive instead of like reshaping the format. Yeah, I think a good allied color cycle of lands, especially ones that like enable aggressive decks that like enable you to curve out that would be a fundamental change to the format and reshape what you're allowed to do. And then the other thing would be a ban of delve cards or similar that would be a significant change but other than those things you know it's going to take some like kind of crazy prints to like really fundamentally reshape pioneer yeah and and i don't expect like pioneer masters or pioneer horizons i guess to yeah be on the horizon yeah it, it's just standard sets <laughs> no it's just two standard sets and you know like even a ledger shredder like yeah that makes a difference to the format but mono green is still like a deck you need to be aware of and understand how it works and that sort of thing. Ledger Shredder is not played in very many decks in Pioneer, as strong right. as it is. It's similar to Modern, right? Pioneer Ledger Shredder is played in like one or two decks. Yeah, pretty good in, in Phoenix. But yeah, other than that, it's not totally upending the format or anything like that. And in a format that already includes Thoughtseize and Fatal Push and Nykthos and Treasure Cruise... I think maybe Fable of the Mirror Breaker was the most impactful recent print. Like, Black Red couldn't exist without that card, and now it does. Poseju, too. I think is really good. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, Kamigawa as a whole was a very good set. Yeah. It had a lot of good generic, you can play it kind of anywhere deal cards. Yes. Actually, Den of the Bugbear, one of the most impactful prints as well. That card is... Whew, whew, has a very good card. That card hurts. Like it's so every, hard. I, I so I never really played with it the entire time it was in standard, and I'm aware, fully aware that it's still in standard. <laughs> yeah. So whenever it gets played against me in Pioneer, I'm always in my mind. I'm like, okay, this is just a two-one land that makes a one-one, but it it is just not. It's just larger yep. than that. <laughs> it's just a three-two. It just and it gets me four. every time. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, it's it's a monster. That card's really good. Yeah, it's incredibly strong. Honestly, the only reason I that like red decks are <laughs> scary <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes Supreme Verdict like so awful against the even the the red decks that are running like twenty five creatures or more. Supreme Verdict's just not actually that good against them because as long as they dealt some damage to you, they can just kill you with their four den of the bugbears. Yeah, incredible. Uh, so I kind of just want to explore the format going like from the top most popular decks down and each deck is going to kind of trigger sort of a discussion of things that I want to figure out about the format and things I want to like focus a little bit of practice on. And my plan pretty much is to queue up at least one league a day from here on out and just kind of like immerse myself in Pioneer as best I can. Uh, I just... I really want to take this format seriously. I want to take this tournament seriously. I want to get really good at this format and I want to feel very comfortable going in. And then even if I show up the day of and like 04 and leave, I'll know that I'll have done all that I can. And, you know, I probably won't get blindsided by anything and will like understand where my losses came from. And like, you know, you want your losses in a tournament like that to be because of like choices that you made and like matchups that you knew were bad or whatever. And, and, uh, you like took those percentages instead of being like, Oh man, I didn't understand this or I didn't expect this. And so that's, that's just what I want to do. I want to be prepared. I want to have as much knowledge as I can. And I think that means like taking the dive in and swimming through the format as much as I can in the weeks to come. Which will help a lot in just like having an understanding of the format. Because if you, if you can play a league a day mm -hmm. uh, and play different decks, instead of just like focusing on one or two, you will get a bigger understanding of decks that actually just aren't played that often and why they aren't played that often. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's important to me. Like I want to know what a format will look like that makes me go, it's actually time to register Heroic for this format or whatever it is, and then make that decision when the when it's time for the tournament so how do you want to start you want to just go most popular least popular yeah i think that's probably the ideal way to do it i do want to just like keep a couple of things about the format that we do know in mind that could change in the intervening three months but it, this is what kind of defines pioneer right now the mana is pretty bad especially for allied color decks especially for decks that need to play specific spells on specific turns curve out you know the rakdos deck gets by because a lot of its spells cost one mana a lot of its interaction does and so if you turn one thought seize turn two tap land fatal push like that is fine other decks that need to go like one drop two drop three drop you just can't really do that with the color mana in this format which is why some of the more, more popular decks in this format are mono red mono white mono blue <laughs> yeah the top eight decks include a mono color deck from three different colors not counting mono green which is kind of a different animal yeah like you're playing that not because your mana mana is bad but you are for the other three colors right well and i mean i'm sure the bad mana is some level of contributor to like yeah it's fine i'm not giving up much by being a mono green deck like other decks have to make sacrifices similar to this just because their lands don't work for anything else yeah why, why would you play red green when you can play mono red why would you yes. play blue or blue white spirits when you could just play mono whites or mono blue spirits or mono white humans, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that just take all the best cards for one color and make your mana actually work instead of having to like stumble over yourself. Yeah, your deserted you know, one match out of five or your pathways or whatever. Like, yeah. 
I mean, I think in an ally color deck, your mana just straight up doesn't work like 20% of the time. And that's not acceptable unless you are for uh, early game early game yeah yeah like right practice is fine blue white control if you want to do that is fine because you don't really like need to put the pressure on so early in the game yeah the format is defined by a, a handful of cards that are much much more powerful than the other cards and that's nick those and the delve spells are kind of the s tier of the format and you have to have a good reason not to be playing any of those cards Black Red gets to do some strong stuff. It gets to play Thoughtseize, which is a card that's like almost on the level of those cards in the format and uh, kind of makes up for it just by being well. Its cards are well positioned. You have to make sure you're not just doing a worse version of a Nykthos or a Delve spell deck. And that's pretty important when you're trying to decide what to do. And then there's some very good cheap interaction that helps define like what makes sense to do. And I'm thinking mostly Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, and Reckless Rage is actually a pretty big one too. Uh, casting Glorybringer, really tough when you might play against Reckless Rage. So, you know, these are kind of basic structures of the format and the reasons that the good decks are good right now. Yeah, I, I don't really have a lot to add there. That's why I don't think things are likely to change in the next three months two set releases because mm -hmm. i don't expect them to ban nikthos or the dell spells because there just aren't pioneer events other than magic online prior to the rc like unless there's a huge stink on twitter i guess maybe that's the only thing to pay attention to but I, I don't really expect those cards to be targeted and the only thing that could change in my mind is the mana uh but yep. again i've got this crazy theory that they're gonna print the allied Fastlands and the phyrexia set because they're they have specific name places. Right. They are Mirrodin themed lands, unfortunately. So yep. it just makes it tough to put them in a standard set. Yeah, now that you can't just throw them in a core set. So I, I don't think any of these things are super likely to change. Uh, the only thing that can get appended would be the cheap interaction because there's so little cheap spells in this format mm -hmm. that even the most innocuous print can have pretty good impact. Like consider from midnight hunt yep big deal huge one mana card to add it to the format like you had opt already but <laughs> consider is much better than opt yeah especially when you want to play like upwards of five or six delve spells in your deck yeah so any, anything like that that can be printed as a standard like you're talking about a reckless rage was a good card in the format and it is and that's just like a random red removal spell from like rivals of Ixalan or something <laughs> like a yeah. pretty bad set so you can just yeah. throw any cheap card that's reasonably played in Bioneer that could shake up the format. Uh, but everything else I expect to remain the same for the next two two set releases. Yeah, and it, it seems especially unlikely that like Nykthos or the Dell spells get touched by a ban because number one, they've said like, we like this format to be the Delve spell format. So I expect that to stay the same because of that. Uh, and also, people are very aware of the Nykthos deck, which is mono green. You can't really attack Nykthos, but you can put four Disdainful Strokes in your sideboard, and a lot of people are doing that. And Phoenix is a very... Everybody comes to a, a real tournament prepared to beat Phoenix. Like, it's not an unknown. It's a good deck, but they're all gunning for it. And so... I think prepared to play against Phoenix is a little more apt than Because <laughs> it is a good deck, because it's not directly... Yeah like hosable yeah but there's a lot of unlicensed hearses there's a lot you know people are aware of the thing that you're doing and they're trying to stop you whether or not their plan is good enough but i think 
go headed into a regional championship, you have to expect that your opponent's plans, you know, are, are, do, are, are at least like they make sense against the stock version of the deck and you need to either believe that like everybody is suffering under like a mass delusion of what their sideboard plans are capable of or you're doing something just slightly different or your play patterns are better than what most people's are or something in order to justify playing a deck that's likely to be targeted like that but anyways not not really what we're talking about what we're talking about right now is that you know the responses to the power cards of Nykthos and Delve and the Delve spells are big enough that it is unlikely that they see a ban in the near future yeah I think the Delve spells would shock me especially since they doubled down on the last announcement yes yes like we love these cards they are precious children <laughs> So I think we should start with Rakdos Midrange, the mercilessly mocked deck that is by far the most heavily played deck in Pioneer now and is quite good and wins a lot. It exists. It's a bunch of good spells. It's maybe a few too many three drops. It's maybe leaning like really hard on Graveyard Trespasser, which happens to be like good against in weird ways against several different strategies, you know. It's the Jund of the format, and this is a format that is low-powered enough that a Jund deck is completely acceptable. That's what this is doing. What I want to do is play it enough that I understand kind of the various compositions and sideboard plans and choices of sideboard cards, and then the role that the deck is taking in each of the major matchups. And, you know, stuff like... How many life bane zombies do you commit to your sideboard when you're just like, I know I need to beat mono, you know, all of those little nuances of deck composition. Uh, I want to kind of like get an understanding of those. That's that's my goal for figuring out what this deck is doing. I will be honest here. Whenever I look at the Rectus midrange deck lists, my eyes just kind of glaze over and I just see the all the same card over and over again yeah like there's not a ton of variety in the main decks of these decks right uh, but there is a huge variety in the sideboard and it just seems like it's like 13 of the wildest cards you've ever seen <laughs> so that's i'm interested in seeing what you learn when you play through like the thousands of sideboard cards all these Rakdos players are registering like <laughs> there's a legion's end in this one there's three invoke despairs in this one like it's it's See, crazy. That one is that's really chaotic to me. I can't invoke despair is really wild, especially because like I want to play as many den of the bugbears as I possibly can. So <laughs> the lifebane zombie is my favorite sideboard card because like what what an unbelievable beating against the green deck. But yeah, I, I there are so many choices and so many of them seem pretty anemic or really narrow. And I want to make sure that I don't register a card that turns out like oh okay this is only actually good against heroic and that's not worth a sideboard you know so I, I i want to experiment with all you know 45 of the sideboard cards that pop up in these deck lists <laughs> yeah I, I think that's where i honestly I do think it'll take a lot of time to figure out mm -hmm. kind of how you get that edge because you have to figure out what cards you're taking out for like different configurations while having while juggling like 45 different sideboard cards <laughs> i don't i don't think it'll be easy it's not just what are the 15 best sideboard cards. It, you know, it's what is my plan in each matchup? How hard am I attacking? Like, how much pressure am I supposed to be putting on versus am I playing a card advantage game here? Or, you know, 
are my how many go blanks is enough that I don't need to be actually putting that much pressure on my Phoenix opponent. I can actually just outcard them and outvalue them. Like what's what are the numbers here? What are the strategies that make sense in each matchup? Because almost categorically in these sideboards that I see, uh, it's entirely reactive cards. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't ever try to go more proactive in the side yeah. in the sideboard of games. Unless you count Invoke Despair as a proactive card. I don't know what Invoke Despair is. <laughs> okay. I mean, I I could probably tell you what the text is, but I don't know what role that card puts you in. It puts you in mono black pretty solidly. <laughs> it does do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, And, and so one thing that I want to know by the time uh, Dominaria United comes out is what role or or like what place the Sleeper Agent could... Is that in Dominaria United? Is that it what is. Seth like? Yeah. Evolve like sleeper? I would like to know, yeah, evolve sleeper. Like I'd like to have an idea of: Am I going to want this card in the deck? Do I want to be able to transition roles with it like that, or is that a card for like a renewed mono black type list or something like that? Who knows? But I, I want to have the baseline feel for the format that I, I can just be like, no, this deck doesn't want that, or uh, this is worth a shot. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good goal. Figure out sideboarding, understand how to incorporate new cards. Yeah. Uh, second most played deck after Recto's midrange is is it Phoenix? And there's like a lot of little questions that I want to answer that are related to is it Phoenix as an archetype, the delve cards and the card ledger shredder, and just like what to be doing with blue cards in this format generally. I think is it Phoenix is clearly like the default strong way to put a bunch of these cards together. But it's also a very known set of 60 cards. And is there a plan for juking that makes sense when your opponent like is actually prepared to beat you? Or is there a way to incorporate some of the strong cards without leaning into a strategy that's my way of getting card advantage uses the graveyard. Half of my threats use the graveyard. My my deck is entirely dependent on access to the graveyard. And even post board, it's hard to get away from that. Yeah, I have been seeing a lot more season part or not season pyromancer, young pyromancer, the mm-hmm. smaller of the pyromancers popping up inside boards, which is a good step towards like easing that reliance on the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if what other what else people are doing in that regard. Right. And so like that's what drew me to playing a prowess deck instead of Phoenix earlier in the format. Because a lot of the ways that you get attacked, stuff like Unlicensed Hearse and Go Blank, like, yeah, they'll stop your treasure cruise, but they won't stop your, I have a, a prowess creature and a ledger shredder and you're dying to them right now. So, you know, that drew me to that. That deck obviously has not had continued success, especially on Magic Online. I think I want to do a little bit of work with it and just kind of figure out exactly why that's happening. And, you know, it might just be that people have better plans against it. The black red players are stronger and are like having better reactive plans rather than like trying to go blank the the aggro deck and stuff. They have just like a stronger way of engaging with you. And I do want to figure out exactly what is happening to the prowess deck. But I do believe that it's not the way to build these decks right now. And then I also just kind of want to figure out like generally... Is there a better way to use Ledger Shredder or is there a less vulnerable way to use Ledger Shredder? Because I think that card is crazy powerful. And if there's a way to use it that is surprising people or just attacking at an angle that people's sideboard cards aren't responding to, 
then that could be something. Like how? Like what do you mean a different way to use Ledger Shredder? Do you have to be red and using a graveyard-based threat? Could you? Is there like a Thoughtseize Fatal Push deck that uses Ledger Shredder? I don't think so because for a couple of reasons, you don't have any other threat besides the Ledger Shredder. So you would need to be like a control deck that happens to have Ledger Shredder in it, which is really awkward because you're turning on Fatal Pushes when you don't necessarily have to be doing that. Uh, and then also you are not equipped to end the game, you know, when you have Ledger Shredder in a blue-red deck, you can counter one or two spells out of mono green and kill them. A blue-black deck isn't able to do that. You have to actually like fully control the game, which is very, very difficult against their giant flashback spell and all the mana that they can make and also troll. So probably something like that doesn't exist. I also think that there is some combination of cards. I, I really would like to figure out a way of combining Cat Oven and Ledger Shredder because it's <laughs> a lot of cheap spells that can allow you to trigger the Shredder and then like use the graveyard without making graveyard hate good against you and using the discard to get value. But that may be a pipe dream and there may be no way to construct a deck out of that. So I actually kind of like the sound of that, but I think you'll end up running into the issue where your mana doesn't work because yeah. of the form engine, you know, there are no lands for allied mana. In this no, format. that's totally possible. Especially cause like that deck definitely includes fatal push and thought seize. So like you're getting this immense pressure to have black mana at the right moment. And you never, you never want to be unable to cast ledger shredder on turn two. And so the lands are not super equipped. Like you've got watery grave and you've got the pathway and then like, what the slow land and that's like not that doesn't solve this issue right it, and when you're trying to cast fatal push or thought seize on turn one like that's not good enough yeah I, so i think anything that relies on ledger shredder in that kind of base mm -hmm. like allied color blue white blue black is not quite worth exploring if you want to play yeah. one drops in your deck and ledger shredder kind of forces you to <laughs> oh yeah absolutely the whole point is to play one drops in your deck and obviously, like, blue-green doesn't give you any, like, that's not a deck. There's nothing Well, the green doesn't there. have the interaction, so. Right. It's just got better mana, but that's that's not quite good enough. You need the mana and the spells, and that's, what, that's the problem that we run into. So maybe that's a deck that I think about, but put on hold until we see what, what allied color lands we're getting in the next two sets. Yeah, exactly. So for now, just actual blue-red Ledger Shredder decks. Yeah. Yeah. Phoenix and, or whatnot. Right. And so Phoenix is default. What is the best way to build a non Phoenix version of the deck? Is it prowess? Is there a, like, is it prowess? Not is it, but it would be, is it prowess? Uh, <laughs> but like, is there some other way? I, I also would love to build a ledger shredder, uh, like prowess heroic deck with homestead, like homestead courage, ledger shredder is like a crazy combination of cards. But again, mana just really isn't there for doing that. Homestead Courage is a white card. Legislature is a blue card. And we've already established that those colors do not get along. It's the same problem, but there is something really, really sick there. To have Homestead Courage with Illuminator Virtuoso and Ledger Shredder and playing Ledger Shredder with Brave the Elements or whatever. Not Brave the Elements. Uh, you God's know, Willing. Uh, God's Willing or whatever like is good, but the mana just isn't there for it. Yeah, and I think that would... That deck would take not only mana considerations, but a lot of 
tinkering around with trying to figure out like your ideal suite of spells versus interaction oh yeah especially because i'm like definitely trying to put treasure crews in that deck oh so that's a that's a (laughs) difficult like that's a difficult cake to bake yeah we're gonna have to put that one on the uh recipe book for now yes also for these decks i want to understand what is the best play pattern and configuration like what is kind of like the bare minimum requirements for having a good matchup against the humans decks generally because one thing i don't want to do is show up to a tournament with a removal based deck with card advantage to like pick up after your removal and be bad against the creature deck because they have all Thalia's and Extraction Specialists. And I'm just like, oh, shoot, I didn't think about this. I guess I'm dead to that. Yeah, four Brave the Elements and Disruptive Creatures. It's a rough, right. rough combination. Like, sometimes you just die to Adeline plus Brave the Elements. Like, the game's just over. And if that's just better than you, if you just, like, lose to that more often than you win, then I'm not interested in playing a deck with shocks in it in the tournament. <laughs> They're strangled now. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even worse, honestly. Well, uh, fiery impulse, I think. Yeah, yeah. But that's kind of it kind of bridges it, you know. Kind of. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. It's no lightning bolt. Let me tell you that. Ooh, lightning bolt would make Rectus mid into like Rectus big. Yeah, I don't think anybody would be complaining about Rectus mid range if it got to play lightning bolts in it. <laughs> that goes from like laughing stock to like big man on campus to, to just tier zero in the format yeah. yeah uh so next big thing and this isn't quite the third most heavily played deck right now because it's taken some some significant damage over the past couple of weeks but i think it still is up in the upper tier of decks you can expect to play against generally uh but mono green generally i mean i know how mono green works i what i want to do is i want to get comfortable playing with it and comfortable quickly and efficiently comboing off with it especially in paper because i want this to be an option if a week before the tournament i decide like monogreen's just the best deck that's the deck i'm supposed to be playing i don't want to be like i think monogreen's the best deck but i don't know if i can pilot it you know for a nine round day one or whatever i think monogreen is extremely good and the reason it's fallen off recently is because people are really gun in for it like you, you spoke about the sample stroke and life vein zombie earlier mm-hmm. and those are like really targeted to just stick it to monogreen which yeah. is a testament to how powerful the deck is really mm-hmm. because you're not like you're not just boarding those cards in because they're generically good in the format right <laughs> right not life bane zombie <laughs> which i don't think you even bring your life bane zombies in against like mono white humans like that doesn't sound yeah very they might good be at all. too slow like a, a one toughness guy yeah, no that, way that thought seizes them when you're dead maybe, on board it may be thought seizes them maybe they don't even need another card to kill you i mean you're on the draw and they've already got their adeline in play it's not gonna work or they have two in their hand or they immediately draw another one and you have like a, a pretty bad creature on the board yeah mm-hmm. it's yeah i don't even, i don't know if that's the plan against mono I, I it's hard to believe that it is uh i also want to figure out if the bolus thing is real and mono green it's like so painful to see it but i i see the argument i i get it i just need to i need to do it i guess i when i first looked at this deck lists and saw like this was a while ago weeks ago 
I saw the bolus for the first time. I'm like, oh, this is very cute uh, mm-hmm. and probably just nonsense. But now it's more common than and not. And then people kept playing it, and so I thought about it more, and I'm just like kind of on board with bolus now. I mean, it's very good when it's in play. It makes yes. it easier to combo off. It is incredible in the mirror. It's very good when it's in play. It just happens to cost three colors of mana that you can't make, so you need to storm into it or have an Oath of Nissa in play. Which is not that unreasonable, right? No, no. Because you, you can also storm into Oath of Nissa. Like, you mm-hmm. don't, it's not optimal, but sometimes you miss on storm. Or you have a bolus in your hand and you want to cast it, so you just pick right. Oath of Nissa off your storm festival. Yeah. I, I think it's, like, reasonably cast, reasonably playable in the deck, and it's clearly quite good when it's in play. It does a lot of things that the deck wants. I don't think you play more than one, but... Yeah, the know. two the two boluses are pushing it. I also do not... Uh, one of the things I see a lot in these deck lists is, like, an overgrown tomb to kill with Pestilent Cauldron, and you just don't need that. Oh, sure. Like You can make black mana with Nykthos with Bolus in play, or with uh, Reckoner Bankbuster. That's on your sideboard. Oh, sure. I mean, I don't know how many Nykthos activations... I guess it depends on how many Nykthos activations you have lined up, but the Nykthos activation for black is kind of a spew. Well, if you're, if you're killing them, it's not really a spew. You, you, sure. you basically make infinite mana. Yeah infinite green mana and you just convert some of and that and then into you black. can make it into black yeah all right i, I guess it, I, like it doesn't matter how you can produce black mana or what the rate is right right, it, right. you just need a way to do it and overgrown tomb is not a card you ever want to draw sure i don't even know what the text of pestilent cauldron itself is it mills your opponent for the uh, life you've gained that turn i see Ooh, put another note in the mono green section know what all the cards do yeah well <laughs> Pestilent Cauldron is the there's too much text like I just knowing the opposite side of that is pretty good did you know that one gains each player for life I did yeah it's just a lot of text on that card for some reason and we've spoken only... in previous episodes how the chain veil it just adds another activation to your planeswalkers for the rest of the turn <laughs> yeah even if they come into play after the yeah. ability is activated yep I also appreciated how I, and I didn't catch this when they were talking about it for the first time, but on arena deck lists, uh, they were talking about this whole scenario and trying to like figure out the right play, given that there was a damping sphere in play and Brian's opponent could restorative burst to bring it back to his hand and cast it again if he killed it. But it turns out that restorative burst only returns creature, land, or planeswalker cards. Yes. Only creatures, Which, lands, or planeswalkers. Kind of hard to blame anybody for not knowing that text of the card. I mean, it's hidden on the back of another card. I don't know. It's fine. Uh, That is also a deck that I know Will was complaining about Will Kruger earlier on Twitter uh, this week that he just had no idea how he's going to tackle tracking everything in paper, Mm -hmm. like how many times you've activated the chain veil, how many times you've activated your planeswalkers, how much mana you have floating, all this moving cards between zones and exile with Karn. Like there's a lot to track of. So you should try to get some paper reps in with this deck at some point. Yep, that is my plan. I've got my Nykthoses now, so yeah. I can put, mostly put this thing together. I think I've got everything for this deck except for the Bolus <laughs> and maybe the Chain Veil. <laughs> That's funny. You know, proxying exists for a reason. True, but you could play, you know, Pioneer cash tournaments. Yeah, those exist. Do there are any of are there any pioneer yeah. tournaments that are There's, not RCQs? They're on Thursdays. They have uh, them at the uh, the Chapel Hill place. 
All right, well, I will probably start going to those a couple of times a month. That seems like a thing that I just need to do. Getting reps in paper for a paper tournament is underrated. Yeah, I, I think it's really important for me to do it. Especially if you ever want to try out mono green in that kind of environment because it does have a lot going on for it like i could i could play phoenix without doing the paper reps but well, you've also played phoenix in exactly. modern a million times in paper like how many times right. you play mono green in paper none zero none times so i should get some reps if i am thinking of doing that like, like i would recommend you get reps on any deck that you play in paper of course but for some decks i would consider it like mandatory uh, like if you're playing Rakdos Midrange in paper, it's just a generic magic deck you've played a million times. Maybe you sequence things a little, you know, in, mm-hmm. in your head a little differently. But the the premise of the deck is very simple. Yeah, if you're trying and to play the board like management is very basic. Yeah, like mono green or uh, KCI or something weird, where mm-hmm. you're just interacting with your own board in a way that's unusual. You should practice it. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. Hopefully under pressure, like of your opponent doing something, because yeah. You know, you rarely play a tournament and there's no one in front of you like you're practicing at your desk and you're just doing whatever and you make a mistake and you just take it back and you just keep right. going. <laughs> but get an opponent there who has mana up sometimes, get a clock that, you know, you got a 50 minute round timer, you got to finish, like put those ingredients in so they're not a surprise to you when you have to actually play magic. Yeah. Uh, so the next most popular deck, actually more popular than Mono Green online right now, is Blue White Control. I get, like, the draws to this deck. I The Planeswalker Suite of three Wandering Emperors, three Teferi, Hero of Dominaria is, like, an incredible Planeswalker Suite. Like, I get that, and I'm totally in for that. I hate acknowledging, like, the power of Delve spells existing in the format by main decking triple Dovin's Veto, and then also just not being able to play the Delve spells in your blue control deck. Like, that combination of things is just crazy to me. You've got memory deluge. That's kind of like you know, kind of yeah, like the it's the fixed dig through time. I want to play the broken <laughs> dig through time. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty awkward that you literally can't play your cards efficiently enough to play the delve spells. That's well, that and your sucks. one mana removal is portable hole is like a big part of the problem. Yeah, but I mean the wandering emperor and Teferi literally so carry this deck. It, it, yes. they're so strong. Yeah, and I like. That may be enough that it's like, okay, this is a deck that it's enough that it's a deck that like you need to respect, understand how to play against it. Do not just get blown out by the Wandering Amber. You need to understand how to play against that card. And uh, yeah, so honestly, like my big like blue white control like story for prepping is I just want to make sure that whatever deck I'm taking to it, I know how to play against blue white control. I'm not getting blindsided by the counter spells that they have or what turn they're going to memory deluge. So I like need to put out a threat and force the counter spell for some action playing against a control deck is so much harder than playing with a control deck. And so I need to understand how to play against the deck with any deck that I'm thinking of playing in the tournament. Also the weirdo sideboard cards that people play in their, their decks, like uh, mm. Narset's reversal, summary dismissal, farewell, like all those weird kind of can be a blowout if you're not thinking about them cards yeah They're, sunset revelries yeah. yeah that that sort of deal like there's a lot of really niche blue white sideboard options that you can just get blown out by if you just never think about it a set of the wreckage is kind of like the perennial example to me yes that's always the 
the like look at your opponent like are you a settle the wreckage gamer and then just I, it doesn't matter i have to attack this turn like i literally haven't seen a settle the wreckage in years but this is the one time you're gonna have it it's just gonna be so disgusting if it's there but probably like you can't play around settle the wreckage and wandering emperor and they all have at least three Wandering Emperors in their main deck, and they're keeping them in against you if you're attacking. So play around Wandering Emperor, don't play oh, around yeah. Settle the Wreckage. I, I wasn't really saying... I, I don't think I've seen any of the blue white decks play yeah, yeah. Settle the Wreckage. It was just like my example of like a random blowout card that you... Right. It, it's not really in your mind. It is, though. <laughs> because I played Standard with Settle the Wreckage in it, so it like will live on in like scar tissue in my brain until I die. But... What that really is, is I need to defeat the urge within me to play around Settle the Wreckage because it's not correct in a Wandering Emperor format. Right. So yeah, unlikely to play Blue-White. I need to be aware of how to beat it with everything. And I also want to put a minute into figuring out if Lotus Field Strict Proctor is completely untenable because that's the <laughs> thing that makes these that makes Blue-White awkward decks with expensive spells actually like crazy power like the historic or not historic the explorer strict proctor lotus field deck is actually very very good and if there's a way to make it work in pioneer that people aren't expecting that could be very powerful but maybe just totally unnecessary i'm not familiar with explorer strict proctor is there something that makes it um like in the format or something different like what does it do when it doesn't draw strict proctor lotus field it's just a blue white control deck. But what if it draws Lotus Field, but not Sprick Proctor? Then you play your Lotus Field on turn three, and then when you play Teferi, then it's good. Teferi is incredibly powerful. And you're not it's like, like fine. You're not behind by just like not having a turn three. I mean, most of your interaction costs two. Like you don't play cancels in it basically because it's too awkward, and you have some amount of just like removal spells over some amount of two mana counter spells, so you can kind of just make it work. Are we playing the like the white? What's it called? Faithful absence? Is that the clue? Card? Yeah, yeah. You play a lot of faithful absences, okay. but you have to do that in the regular boy control deck too, because after portable hole, your actual removal options are like limited. White and yeah, faithful absence. Yep. I wanted to call it Investigate Blade for some reason. <laughs> I knew that wasn't the name. Everybody would have known what you're talking about, though. Yeah, but I would have felt really silly. That's fair. I don't know maybe you can give that a try like try out stock blue white and get comfortable with the cards people play first and then you mm -hmm. can like go off the beaten path i think i don't know how many leagues of playing stock blue white i have in me though to be like perfectly honest but probably at least one one and then some strict proctors is a treat yeah exactly i just struggle to play decks that don't have like blowout potential in them i mean i guess blue white general like supreme verdict is a blowout That's a, so, yeah wandering emperor is a blowout that isn't blowout central right there yeah blue white is strong it, it can beat people it gets a lot of its mileage from opponents playing around the wrong cards rather than like you really setting stuff up and so maybe that's why it's a little bit unsatisfying to me to play decks like this but you do get a lot of mileage of just like your cards are tough to play around because if you're holding up wandering emperor and a counter spell and memory deluge like whatever your opponent does they're getting punished and that's you know that's a pretty nice setup just kind of requires the right game metagame around it i think mm -hmm. like despite how strong those two planeswalkers and supreme verdict are 
you do have a lot of problems where you're playing like you know four absorbs and a bunch of sensors and stuff like that where you, right. you, you've got clunkers in your deck because unlike the vaunted king red black mid-range uh you're not playing a productive game plan so you're when you draw your clunkers in too much and you don't draw your like haymakers you really feel it yeah i mean and that's the thing about red black mid-range that like eight of your removal spells are just also creatures that punch a little bit above their mana cost you've got blood tithe harvester can attack for three bone crusher giant can attack for four and a lot of times that's just your plan and that's really good yeah those creatures are great <laughs> after that we got a couple of aggro decks i definitely want to play humans i definitely want to understand if mono white is just definitely better than a company version of the deck it definitely seems streamlined and powerful and four of brave the elements in a mono white creature deck that is able to put just a ton of power on the board and tax your opponent like the humans deck has a lot going for it the mono white version does too yeah i i think the mono white version is way better than company yeah first because i don't respect company as a card in pioneer <laughs> uh, but also mana base considerations like i'm gonna beat the drum more like mm -hmm. you get to play beautiful in mono white humans yeah you just can't do that in collective company it's just not going to be a thing you can do mm -hmm. i mean i guess you can't but your deck's probably going to be ter terrible <laughs> yeah no and it's awkward it's really hard to play like you do lose the whole brave the elements facet if you go mm -hmm. into like more green cards so i, I want to explore that i want to figure out like if anything pushes you in another direction or if mono white is just kind of like strictly better and then like what makes the deck bad what what has to happen in the format to be like yeah humans is is not it or you know is it just strong enough to do it and also uh is there a pyre of heroes version that like fixes any matchups that would be the thing that you want to jump ship to is there a pyre heroes version i don't remember seeing anything like that uh it's not heavily played right now and it's usually not like it's not the mono white version so you know yeah i'm, I'm off of anything that you know yeah. Make sure mana base bad, which is going to be most cards, honestly. Sure. <laughs> like, it's really hard to build aggressive decks that don't have mana base problems in this format. Yeah. I mean, I think you could do it if you were like white, black, or white, red, or maybe even yeah. Mardu. But... <laughs> oh, Mardu. <laughs> um, okay. So, one thing to note, though, is that the sleeper Evolved Sleeper. Evolved Sleeper is a human which could be very relevant to doing something like this. Can I get my concealed courtyards out? You know, you don't get a lot of opportunities. Well, that's probably for the best. <laughs> Mono red. I also am like reasonably unlikely to end up playing mono red, but I would like to play some of it to just understand like exactly what the critical turns are, what the types of hands that it draws are and what they lose to what would push you towards either the burn version or the ember cleave version what's what needs to be going on in the format for you to make either of those choices and also like i want to know kind of what version of the red deck my opponent is on from like the smallest of indicators like i want to understand so that i know how hard to be playing around ember cleave or if i'm getting burned out or whatever yeah i don't know if there's gonna be a big signpost i guess if they play two one drops on turn three or turn two uh, yeah that's, burning that's tree emissary is the yeah, version you know stuff like that um i don't i don't i'm not sure i my gut instinct is that the ember cleave is the more i don't want to say consistent because it's not really ember what cleave, i'm trying to say right 
Like, but it, it's it's able to kill on turn four more often than yeah, the it's, other version. It's more it's more powerful when it does mm-hmm. its thing, and it probably you can spike with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other deck, the burn focused one, seems just a little underpowered to me in comparison. I also have a lot of respect for Annex as a card, and that that like pulls me towards the Embercleave version. Annex is fun. It lines up weirdly well against like a lot of the stuff. Like it has three toughness, which is a gross amount of toughness, and then it it just like does a lot of work. Put some guys into play when they kill your men. Yeah, it can't be fatal pushed. Like there's a lot going on there. Fatal push not trivial to turn on in this format. No, although red black isn't terrible at it, but it, it forces them to do things they'd probably rather not some percentage of the time. Yeah, I am also interested in getting a deeper understanding of the sacrifice engine and its place in the pioneer format right now the sacrifice deck that we have is that like rakdos sacrifice deck that's just entirely focused on putting together as many ovens as it possibly can just digging through its deck as deep as possible playing a lot of ovens hopefully getting a mayhem devil in play at some point and burning your opponent out But that is only one way of doing the sacrifice engine, and that's a very linear, specific way of doing it. I don't know that we can ever be a Trail of Crumbs deck in a format that includes mono green in it. Also, Oven can be a tough sell in a Karn-heavy format, depending on how much mono green is seeing play. But the sacrifice engine is super powerful, even in a post-Luris era, and I wonder how many ways, how many different ways there are to build that. And also, again... Am interested in combining Ledger Shredder and Cat Oven. That may be a put it on the shelf and think of dust it off when the lands exist to do that. See what I'm worried about this sort of deck, and your testing will show this one way or the other. Is that you are playing a bunch of medium bad cards to like combine into an engine, right? So you can mm-hmm. overcome a bunch of stuff. But I don't want to do that if my opponent can just play Treasure Cruise. <laughs> Right, like or Llanowar Elves. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a different thing. The, yeah. the Llanowar Elves deal. Like, maybe you can interact with their elves and stuff. Mm-hmm. But when your opponent's just, like, casting spells and trying to interrupt you and then plays Treasure Cruise, it feels like they're doing everything that you're trying to do way easier. Yeah. I mean, I think the key is that this deck is good if your engine pieces are things that your opponents aren't building to interact with properly. So in formats where like oven and trail of crumbs are like problematic permanents, then it becomes more of a draw when they're just like not actually that big of a deal. Then, yeah, your opponent having interaction in treasure cruise is like a problem. It also kind of hurts that the the blue deck that doesn't play treasure cruise, blue eye control, just mm-hmm. has like four portable holes rolled up so they'll, yeah. they can take care of ovens and whatever. Yeah, no, that's 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 very real and that's a problem. So I, I mean, I'm not ready to write off Sacrifice entirely because I like the deck. Uh, it can put up results, but I do think it has like pretty large hurdles to overcome. Sure. In terms of like power level. Yep. I, I hear that. But also, you know, the pieces that can make the deck really powerful, like, you know, the historic version having the squirrel available makes that deck like <laughs> crazy so yeah know, that card's maybe, like tarmogoyf it's better it's, than tarmogoyf it's just a nutty card it costs one mana and it is kills that a pun them. was that a pun uh, yeah <laughs> it was actually unintentional i can't claim credit for that one but <laughs> thank you for pointing that out but you know any card that has like a set you know mayhem devil was not a card that we like 
saw going in and then it was like, oh, this is a format defining card and it triggers a lot. So there may be a print that's like, oh, wow, that is really good in a sacrifice engine. That's not an impossibility. Uh, I Yeah, I agree. I will say that like a Mayhem Devil anecdote, the first time my opponent's Mayhem Devil triggered on my Fabled Passage, I was so upset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to keep... <laughs> Got to keep an eye out for those text boxes these days. Yeah, those just, cards do everything. I wasn't expecting it because this was like the first time I had played against the card, right? And I just wasn't aware of that line of weird text from this limited card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a little better than... I, I don't even remember the name of the Rectos legend that we all expected to do the same thing, but was like Judith? strictly worse. Judith, yeah. What about the first time your opponent's Ledger Shredder triggered off of your second spell? I guess you were probably aware of that text because we made a big deal about it from the start. Yeah, I, I was aware of that text. I mean, I wasn't when the card was spoiled, but mm -hmm. by the time people had put it into decks was before I had played it with it or against it in Modern. So I, I just knew about it by that yeah. time. Less tilting out of shock value and more just like, boy, that card probably shouldn't. It's just more tilting out of design factor. <laughs> uh, Mono Blue Spirits, deck that is seeing a fair amount of play. I can't, I genuinely just can't play decks like this and feel like comfortable and happy and enjoying the magic that I'm playing. So my main question here is like, how low, emotionally speaking, do I have to be in order <laughs> to like pick this deck up and take it to the regional championship, the Pioneer tournament that I'm very excited to play in and want to be, do well in and have a good time at and then also in a serious note how aggressively is the deck supposed to be mulliganing i think that maybe my problem and why I, these decks aren't very good for me is i am not mulliganing as aggressively with them as i should be and so maybe that's a thing that i need to work on with them i think it can give you some insight into playing against it too like mm -hmm. if you see your opponent mulliganing a lot you can see yeah. if you determine the deck needs to mulligan more than you are you can kind of get a feel of how disciplined your opponent is and what their likely range of keepable hands they want. See, the thing is that usually my opponents keep seven and then they go one drop Curious Obsession Geist Snare. So it's tough to gauge from that. Okay. That's, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to live your life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one is not on the list, but it is an avenue that I want to explore because it's really just how I want to play Magic the Gathering, which is Aspiring Spikes. Gear Hulk Magma Opus deck. You know, I kind of like moved away from these types of decks when Expressive Iteration got banned, but Spike was working on it and it seems fine. And I love playing Magic in this way. And I think Fable of the Mirror Breaker makes decks like this possible. And I mean, maybe this is a stand in for like. I would like to explore more options in Fable of the Mirror Breaker decks. I think it can do more than just be the glue that holds a red-black deck together. It's very good and does a lot of stuff. But what I most want to do is flashback Magma Opus with a turn 5 Torrential Gear Hulk. Yeah, you should definitely play leagues with this deck. I don't know. I, I personally think this deck is kind of medium. The, and... the, the mana costs are high and it's not playing as many delve spells as other blue decks can. And, and you have to play like some filler spells to fuel your, mm -hmm. your like combo, which is not an in the game combo. Yeah. Uh, so it like has flaws, but it still ends doing something powerful. And I think Spike has done well with it. I know he took it to an RCQ and I think top aided. I'm not positive. 
Yeah. I know he did well at some RCQ with this deck. It also has the syndrome of... Good player. Spike is very, very good, and he knows the formats that he's playing better than almost all of his opponents. So Right. That's that's what I was ramping myself up to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you that's for saying it. And then my last question is, is there a playable combo deck? What needs to happen for there to be a playable combo deck? I don't believe that Lotus Field is there. I think it's slower than the creature decks and disrupted by Thalia enough that like playing a deck like like Field is a liability, but combo can be a way of attacking a field if your deck actually does it right and is faster than most of the decks in the format. I think there's like two combo decks you need to consider. Uh, Lotus Field is one of them and Grease Fang is the other, mm-hmm. like mostly the uh, Absand versions with Can't mm-hmm. Stay Away and Desika's Chariot. Those are the ones I see the most of. Can't Stay Away is the reanimator spell for small creatures. Uh, it's a cool card. I have no idea how good Grease Fang is. I just like don't ever see that deck. I see it in deck lists here and there. It doesn't ever win anything. Right. It just kind of exists. So I don't think... I, I think it's like pretty fragile and lowish power enough that you can kind of figure your way out of it. Like maybe you can play a league with it just to get a feel for what they're doing, but I think it should be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lotus field is to me, got a lot more going on for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's a way more intricate deck. There's a lot more cards people play. And there's a couple different versions, whether you're like super poor, or the pages heavy or tutor heavy. There's mm-hmm. like two different versions. I would su- I, I don't suggest you play this deck in the RC unless something drastically changes. I just like don't think it's... I, I think the format's outpaced it mm-hmm. pretty much. But I still think people will play it because people still play it to this day. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it is important to know what their breakpoints are and how they're playing so that you can combat them. Because the deck is very hard to interact with unless you have a good read of like what their hand is and what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, the deck is a hexproof land and then a bunch of spells, so... Yeah, you definitely should. I would recommend playing like a league with Lotus Field just to get a feel of the deck and know that you're just like not going to play it in this tournament. You just need to know how it works. Yeah, yeah. And it's useful to play against decks that you don't think are good, but you think someone will play. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Like, that's a way that, you know you can lose to decks that's a way that people often try to get an advantage is playing a deck that they feel most people are going to be unfamiliar with you lose some points in power you gain some points in opponents straight up punting because they don't know what spell you're about to cast so don't i don't want to be in that position for this tournament i have time to play with and against everything and i want to take advantage of that yeah and lotus field is a deck that's very telegraphed of what they're about to do as long as you have the like legend in front of you that tells you oh they played this card they're gonna follow up with this card sure <laughs> like their plays are very almost face up pretty scripted especially because you like you sylvan scrying for the land you're gonna play the next turn like you have to copy your lotus field in order for your spells to start doing things like there's there's set up things that have to happen and there's there's scripts for all of those things and all the tutor sequences are scripted for the most part. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's pretty easy to wrap your head around if you know what to look for. Right. And if you don't, then they surprise you by like hidden strings so they can like tap your copy land their down land and, and you're like, oh, it. I forgot I right. could do that. 
Right, right. Or hidden strings to like let them like copy their land a little earlier than you thought they could and then they start going off and you're like oh shoot i didn't realize you could do that with two hidden strings or whatever and they straight just... up a cast of a zero of tumbling sands and it's on the battlefield now and you just like haven't experienced that before yes yes <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and i i don't want to be in a spot where like something happens that i've never experienced before at this tournament and so that's a big part of i just want to get games of the format in and immerse myself in it so that playing in the tournament feels like sliding into a warm bath of a format that I understand well. Yeah. Yeah. That's my usual go-to metaphor for tournaments. Yeah. Welcome to the metaphor grindcast. All sorts of metaphors that allow you to like picture us in weird compromising positions. And the points don't matter. No. Wait, that's whose line? Oh, sorry. You said that's welcome good. to and I couldn't stop. <laughs> We are a heavily improvisational, unscripted experience, though, so we're not that far off. Yeah, I mean, this time we actually have a script, more or less. Yeah, we walked right through this. We, I mean, it was a guideline. There are always guidelines. <laughs> oh, man, the dive down guys are so organized. They had like a 10-page set of notes for questions to ask CCR about Living End. And, it, you know, it really worked. That, that episode is very good. If you want to know my thoughts on Living End, um, I'll be posting it in the feed. It should be in the feed before this episode goes up. So you can listen to it in our feed or if you listen to the dive down on theirs. I don't know if I have it in me to do two pages, 10 pages of notes. That's that's a lot. <laughs> no, we that's had a, a lot solid of hard work. So, I mean, they their notes are also like a lot more detailed. Like I trust myself to remember the like little things that I want to say about each of these points that I put down on our notes and on theirs they had a lot of the basic stuff kind of written out oh, that, sure, sure, you know sure. we would have reached kind of naturally anyways with the you know a, a more general outline but it was nice to have it there to just as a reminder of what to hit I mean sometimes when I do the show notes I can't stop myself from doing a uh, like an essay you know got my introduction my mm -hmm. closing paragraph <laughs> <laughs> And that's right. why our math is bad there's <laughs> three reasons yeah <laughs> each each i will spend equal amount of time on <laughs> yeah so anyways that's you know that is not a here's how you you crack open pioneer that is a here's my bird's eye understanding of pioneer and the questions that i want to work on over the next couple of months and as i do so i will be coming back to the podcast for pioneer segments and kind of sharing things that I'm finding out and you know where I'm at on the format and you know hopefully by the time the regional championship rolls around I'll just feel like a pioneer expert of some sort yeah and you know what I just thought of that could really throw a wrench in the pioneer we hadn't covered mm -hmm. uh if they just like unban a random card oh sure because there's like several on the ban list that were safety bans more or yeah. less i mean a, I guess a kethis unbanned probably wouldn't actually do anything no no but like what, what if they banned helia and unbanned walking blister oh, like can you play hardened skills all God, of a boy can dream like, who knows yeah <laughs> is rakdos midrange with walking blister just insane mm. i don't know no. this is all but, spec this is all conjecture but having walking blister in the format would be yeah, that, that would be okay by me. I even I'll even put up with Karn being able to wish for walking ballista if it means that I can play walking ballista in my creature decks. Even if your walking ballista then gets Karned. I mean, 
that has happened to me before. Life goes, Life goes on. on. I, I don't think it. Un- I think an unban is likelier than them banning a card currently. And I don't think an unban is very likely. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So really, just uh, all in on these cheap interaction cards from the next two sets is the the primary mover of the pioneer meta. Well, or ally color fast lands or ally color lands that make mana in the first couple of turns that's yes that would also be a big big deal but uh, we'll see i mean they, they've historically printed so few of those that are worth a damn right it's just fast lands shock lands and original duels pathways <laughs> yes but pathways have their I own know. but quirk. but they can't like like water your grave the blue black pathway and then like blue black fast land would be enough to play a blue black deck with like thoughtsy's fatal push and ledger shredder and you know like that's plenty yeah that's true but yeah so that's that's how i'm looking at pioneer i am excited to kind of delve in with just a, a, a long timeline where i get to work on this at a slow pace without having to be like i gotta find the best deck in the next two weeks and yeah should be a, a nice dip into the format is that continuing the bath analogy from earlier? Yeah, of course. We're, okay, just, just we're good at metaphors it. on this podcast. <sighs> Thank you, everybody, for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time. Uh, if you want to do something to support us, I would suggest checking out the Dive Down uh, podcast generally. Check out the episode that I was on. Uh, let them know if you think I was good on it. Uh, I think I was good on it. I'm getting some positive feedback. Uh, a lot of people are like, ooh. <laughs> This guy, Ooh, this, this guy, guy knows his he's so smart and, stuff. and I imagine handsome. Uh, and it, I mean, it gave me a chance to break down something that I had a lot of knowledge kind of like backed up about, but didn't really, you know, we could have had a living end episode at any time, but felt like since a lot of the stuff was stuff I've said at one point or another on different episodes, it felt a little bit redundant. So getting to go over there and do it all at once was, was kind of cool. And if you are going to be playing the deck or want to know how to play against it better then i would definitely suggest checking out that episode yeah i mean i think it's just a good thing to check out if you're playing at modern rcq because living end is one of the better decks and i would expect to see it yeah and playing well against living end gets you a lot of percentage points in that matchup so a lot it's a very interactive a deck you can interact with very well in a lot of different ways yeah yep for sure but yeah that's it thanks so much have a great week bye